0: Howdy my fellow riders. this is Mark riding in with the latest thrilling installment of Media Riot, coming to you from the wild Midwest, Chicago. We'll take a look at Johnny Depp's new film, The Lone Ranger, he actually plays Tonto. In Slip Discs, we look at Another Earth, we spin a couple of new discs on the phonograph from Kanye West and David Yao, and in theaters we take a look at August, Osage County. Saddle up riders, and let's ride!
1: John, a vision told me a great warrior would help me on my quest. One who has been to the other side and returned. All I know is that a man killed my brother. If we ride together, we ride for justice. Justice is what I seek. Let's do this. i looking for a man. He was in about a week ago. Take me with this. You find traitor. You find the man who killed your brother. I want to show you something. What could you buy with all that? A country, Captain. Who controls the railroad? The cavalry? Everything. If these men represent the law. I'd rather be an outlaw.
0: That is why you wear the mask. Hello, Kimo There, we just heard a little bit of the latest take on the Lone Ranger legend. This Lone Ranger is brought to you by the crew who brought you the mega-successful Pirates of the Caribbean. Johnny Depp stars as Tonto, the sidekick, to Army Hammer's John Reed, The Lone Ranger. Now, you might have actually heard about this Lone Ranger movie for a while. It was besieged by a troubled production and a huge budget of some estimates up to $250 million, which just blows my mind. What do you need for a western besides some horses, maybe a train, a homestead, and some costumes? I can't believe it was $250 million. Looking at it, it doesn't seem that much. Most of the set is the beautiful New Mexico area and legendary director John Ford's favorite place, Monument Valley. This Lone Ranger movie sticks to the traditional story of lawyer John Reed coming out west, meets up with his brother, a Texas Ranger, sees his brother get killed, and John himself gets shot but is saved by Tonto. They hunt down and kill the bad guys through a long and convoluted story about railroads and power grabs. And Reed and Tonto decide to carry on fighting against crime. Oh, jeez. I can feel my jaw getting square as I read that. Now, in the old radio show, the story is framed by a narrator. And in here, as with many odd little things in this film, the film is narrated by Johnny Depp's Tonto, who I think is working as a mannequin at a San Francisco fair in 1933. Now, the main story takes place in the late 1860s, and the film never says what age Tonto is, but I'm guessing by the San Francisco segment, he's like 150 or something, because Johnny Depp is 50. But, but he's playing maybe 20 or 30 uh, in the flashback. But also, why is he pretending to be a mannequin at 150, and why no one notices a crazy old Comanche telling a story to a 10-year-old for like 5 hours? Okay, I I just guess that's just a poor decision on the filmmaker's part. But let's move on to the fun stuff. Guns get shot, stuff blows up, damsels are distressed, and then saved, and blah, blah, blah. Now, this movie isn't as bad as the hype hype has made it out to be. I'm going to give it two stars. A really weak two stars, mind you. Let's look at the selling point of this big Hollywood film. Johnny Depp and Army Hammer have great chemistry. If there were to be a sequel... The filmmakers have something to build on. How is Johnny Depp as Native American Tonto? He's fine. His costume and face makeup hide the fact that he doesn't really look like a Native American at all. The broken English speech pattern? It's okay. Is it offensive? Uh, a little bit. It's like when an American tries a British or Eastern European accent, it's heavy-handed and draws notice to itself. Luckily, Johnny Depp's earnestness and his Johnny Carson Bob Hope perfect delivery of the script zingers save him from being Mickey Rooney's character in Breakfast at Tiffany's. And for those of you who are calling Johnny Depp a sellout for making these types of movies, really? He's still wearing face paint and doing quirky things. There's a direct line from Edward Scissorhands to Tonto. And what's wrong with making a little money? Who doesn't, and who doesn't want to swing from a rope to a moving train? Why can't an artist have fun? An Army Hammer is John Reed. He has the build and the square jawedness to believably pull off the iconic hero. He does at times play the character with a little too much fluster to be the hero, and I understand the filmmakers want to play around with the characterization of the leads, but still, the film is called The Lone Ranger, and The Lone Ranger really needs to step up into the hero role a bit more. But when you have Johnny Depp in a starring role, even if he played Silver the horse, he would still have star billing and more screen time. Also, I just want to know two great character actors, William Fitchner and Tom Wilkinson, turning great performances as usual, playing the bad guys. For the rest of their production, yeah, stuff blows up, guns are shot, but overall, there doesn't feel there was a need for this movie. I think the production team here hit the jackpot with Pirates of the Caribbean, and while as famous country singer and chicken restaurateur Kenny Rogers put it, you got know one to hold them, no one to fold them, no one to walk away, no one to run. You never count your money when you're sitting at the table. There'll be time enough for counting when the dealin's done. Okay, okay, sorry, sorry. Such a great song. But yeah, the production team got a hold of another pole project. And well, even though a professional poker player says there's not luck in poker, there is in filmmaking. Pirates was right time, right place, and everything fell into place for that movie but it didn't extend to Lone Ranger. And director Gore Verbinski? I'll just say this, there won't be a class on Verbinski and the blockbuster. He's a nondescript journeyman director who can handle large productions, but he doesn't put his own touch on it like, say, Spielberg or Scorsese does. Now, I don't want to recommend not seeing this movie. Just wait for it to be on cable. It's really long. You know, you don't want to. It takes too long to go out, spend your time waiting in line, blah, blah, blah. Because, also, as I sat there, you know what I thought? Because it's a long movie. If they re released Maverick with Mel Gibson and James Garner, there was a big budget western that had action, humor, romance, fistfights, guns a blazing. Big budget action comedy westerns in the modern age are still possible. And at least The Lone Ranger wasn't as stupid as The Green Hornet reboot. I bring this up because in superhero mythology, the Green Hornet is a descendant of the Lone Ranger. So, at least, the Lone Ranger was a more dignified failure. Oh, and one last thing. For half of the movie, I almost thought the Lone Ranger was trying to remake Blazing Saddles. I'm serious. They put in so many puns and one-liners and asides. There's a poop joke, too, that all they were missing with it was an up-yours or let-me-whip-this-out gag. I kind of wish they do justice to this justice man, the Lone Ranger, and one day make a Hollywood film that lives up to the legend. It's kind of sad for the Lone Ranger to not gallop off into the sunset with a high ho silver way to fight another day, but with a more of a ho-hum Eeyore, let's skedaddle. Rockton, I'm the real McCoy, and I'm headed out west Because I to be a cowboy, baby, with a top left. Now that we've taken a look at a big budget film, let's take a look at a smaller budget film and slip discs. Recently opened, the film The East was co-written by its star, Britt Marling. It tells a story about an FBI agent who infiltrates an anarchic, anarchist collective called The East and convinces its members of her genuine participation, but begins to fall in love with a charismatic member, and she begins to question the moral underpinnings of her undercover duty. This isn't the first time Britt Marling has written and starred in a film. Britt graduated from Georgetown University in 2005 with degrees in economics and studio art, and, and was uh, her class valedictorian. A bright girl who had a future in finance, but she found her heart was in film. Not happy with the script she was getting, she decided to write her own. She came onto the film scene with her, with her film Another Earth. Let's take a look back at that. It was stupid! Okay, a quick recap of the plot. A pretty girl, Britt Marling, in her early 20s, adrift and misunderstood in the world, meets up with a 40-something-year-old man, William Mapethor, Tom Cruise's cousin, who has one defining clerk and who is also adrift and misunderstood in the world. And only they can understand each other, and they can help each other come out of each other's shells and feel better knowing that someone out there understands them. Okay, what movie did I, did I just describe? Ghost World? Lost in Translation? Winter's Bone? Another Earth? How many times can Sundance tell this story? Oh, wait, there's another Earth in the sky. That's why it's different. In between reenacting Lost in Translation, there are late night college dorm room voiceover lines similar to Hey, man, what if there's like another Earth, man, and it's like a total mirror image of our Earth? What do you think yourself would be doing right now, man? Over and over and over. Also, you can go through the checklist of indie film cliches with this one. Grainy, shaky close-ups? Check. Ethereal hipster soundtrack? Check. The foreigner who never speaks unless it's something profound? Check. The one part that made the audience laugh out loud was William Epithort's character's one defining quirk. He plays the saw, you know, a hand saw with a violin bow. In an awkwardly presented series of scenes, he picks up Marling's character in front of her house late night, saying, "Get in. I have something to show you." Okay. Takes her to an empty symphony hall, and plays the saw for her. And she is so moved by it. They have sex in the next scene. Really, really. All of these years, i trying to beat a good conversationalist to get the girl, and this shortcut is playing the saw for her, like Harpo Marx. Okay, the audience was laughing at this point like it was Naked Gun or Airplane, which is probably not what the filmmakers intended. The irritating part about this movie is that it's actually well-made. It's directed well, the actors are good, and the pacing is fine, but the material is so bad. One and a half stars. Let's hope that with Brit's latest, she has a better film. Quietly and tastefully, Kanye West rolled out his sixth studio album, *Yeezus*. Okay, I'm can't, I can't I can't say that with a straight face. With a song on the album called "I Am a God," this album was dropped like a bomb on the music scene, and like a bomb, it has made a great impact. This may be Kanye's best album. Say what you might about Kanye the celebrity, but Kanye the musician, with each album, grows as an artist. Almost 10 years in from his debut album, *The College Dropout*, Kanye has been a creative force next to only Eminem or Ice Cube in the rap scene, where most rappers burn out after their first album and become footnotes in rap history signified with a Hey, remember when this song was popular? Let's take a listen to a track.
1: Jeans on black. my body means on part and I'm getting my scream on Enter the kingdom black. but watching you bring home you see a black man with a white woman at the top floor they gonna come to kill King Kong middle America packed in, like. came to see me in my black skin, like. number one question they ask asking, fuck every question you asking, like. if I don't get ran at my Catholics, like. it goes conservative Baptists, claiming I'm overreacting, like the black kids in Chirac bitch, bow in the morning, and I'm zoning, they say I'm possessed, it's the omen, I keep it 300, like the Romans, 300 bitches, we're the Trojans, baby we living, in the moment, I've been a menace, for the longest, but I ain't finished, I'm devoted, and you know it, and you know it, so follow me up, cut this shit about to go. I'm doing 500, I'm out of control. But there's nowhere to go, and there's no way to slow. If I knew what I knew in the past, I would have been like that on your ass. Phone in the morning, and I'm zoning, they say I'm possessed. It's an omen, I keep it 300, like the Romans. 300 bitches, where the Trojans... Been
0: And we're back. Gone are any radio ditties like Gold Digger or Good Life. Like the Beatles before him, Kanye has grown as an artist, originally writing beats for other rappers, then making his own. Thankfully, his artistry has grown with his growing ego. I mean, he has a song in the album called I Am A God, which is supposedly inspired by a diss from a major fashion designer who informed West of his invitation to a widely anticipated runway show on the condition he agreed to not attend other shows. I'm sure there are other reasons Kanye thinks he's a god. Also, I've got to think that there's just a bit of tongue-in-cheek to this. Kanye is a smart guy, and I can't believe at one point he didn't stop and read the lyrics he wrote and chuckled a little bit. Because the majority of his lyrics are a wonderful word melange. Because for every boast about fame and money, there's a song to temper that, with songs like Black Skinhead or The New Slaves. Kanye has something he'd like to say about race and fame in America. And thankfully, unlike Spike Lee, who can sometimes come across a little self-righteous, Kanye takes a different, easier-to-swallow tone. Like most rap albums, there are multiple producers and writers, and two of the most prominent are Daft Punk and Rick Rubin. Rubin, who I consider a modern genius record producer, he can work with anyone and get them to make their best album, was brought in to, as Kanye put it, Help keep the minimalist sound he wanted, which I think is funny seeing the huge beats that are on this album, especially Black Skinhead. As the album goes on, it does quiet down a little bit with slower, quieter songs like Blood on the Leaves with a sample from Nina Simone. I loved listening to this album. I'm giving it three and a half stars. Kanye is probably ready to run in here and take my mic and say it's a ten-star album. But hey, how did Kanye find me? I don't give it a full four stars, because for as clever as his arrangement and lyrics are, there's still some tired rap genre trappings on this album. Boasting about rich people problems and bitches, 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 yo. Kanye has an album of memorable beats. How about some memorable lyrics now? Although the story behind the name of the album is pretty interesting. Kanye said, West is my slave name, and Jesus is my god name. And in the song, I am a god, Kanye, <laughs> oops, I mean Jesus, chats with jesus while counting his money he had to laugh just a bit at this i mean this is (laughs) this is coming from the guy who once wrote he's in turmoil over his relationship with god and jesus in the song jesus walks i guess he's over it now kanye may not have made the song of the summer like he did a couple years ago with stronger and gold digger but he does show that not all pop albums need to pop when making a pop album sometimes they need to pound And now we're going from one of the best albums of the year to one of the worst albums of the year. David Yao came to fame as lead singer of not one, but two seminal indie rock bands, Scratch Acid and The Jesus Lizard. Known for their abrasive but hard-rocking sounds, Yao has been rocking the indie set for 20-plus years, and now he finally puts out his own solo album, Tonight You Look Like a Spider. Let's take a listen to a track. And we're back. And no, that wasn't my five and two-year-old niece and nephew jamming on their toys. That was, quote-unquote, music by a grown man. I just want to say this first. I briefly met David Yao a couple years ago. It was at a storefront theater in Chicago. The band Pegboy was playing there with special guest Yao doing some vocals. And uh, This show was uh, a fundraiser for a film starring Michael Shannon. Yes, General Zod, as a rock guitarist. They were just doing pickup shots, so it was quick. But, yeah... Pegboy with David Yao on vocals, and Michael Shannon on guitar. Awesome and weird. And in my brief conversation with Yao, he was a great and funny guy. Actually, more the cool older guy you would run into at an indie punk show. So where did this pretentious pile of shit album come from? I'm not really sure. Well, actually, I kind of do. Yao has been working on his solo album since 1998, with the help of Faith No More, Tomahawk, super music genius Mike Patton. And Yao put out a note, or a press release, or some kind of arty note press release, about his solo album. And here it reads as, Sometime around the end of 1998, my dear and amazing buddy Alex was visiting my house. He knows everything. He showed me the most superficial broad-stroke rudiments of Pro Tools, and I started fucking around. A week or two went by, and I was out dancing through the filthy streets of Chicago, when I ran into a fella who goes by the name of Mike. Mike is an extremely industrious and good looking man. He grabbed me violently by my dry and flaky shoulders and screamed at the top of his carbon-flavored lungs, You're making a solo record, and I'm putting it out whether you like it or not. He was right about the first part. I rented a saxophone for two months. I borrowed some guitars and drums. I rummaged through the kitchen. I squeezed a fat cat. I poked and prodded and ended up with uh, my very own music. It's really good if you like that kind of shit. I named it Tonight You Look Like a Spider after a spider I saw one night. So, there we have kind of an explanation of what this album is supposed to be. I will agree with the superficial part. This album sounds like a guy dicking around with instruments and pro tools. For those of you who, say, who says he's pushing the boundaries of what an album is supposed to be, oh, bullshit. If you take away David Yao's name, half of the album sounds like when I was eight and used to play around in my father's synthesizers and organ, pushing the keys till I made up a little ditty. Some of the songs in this album were 10 minutes, some were a minute, some have recordings of people speaking, some like some sound like a cat being fucked. Only if you're a David Yao fan or a fan of art rock would I recommend this. To the rest of you, no. I quickly want to make a comparison between Kanye West's new album and this album. Even though Kanye is making a more traditional album with, you know, music, lyrics, and the 4 minute average song duration, the sounds he comes up with, are by an artist who understands the instruments he's playing. He wants you to think. He wants you to be challenged by what he's making you hear, even within the traditional pop music trappings. David Yao's album is what Kanye started at, and then threw out, or grew and composed and worked on. Seriously, since 1998, Yao has been working on this album? Phew. Tonight you sound like a spider. Sounds like it needs to be played at an art installation at a museum or something. I would be interested in seeing Yao perform this live, just to see what he does. As I listened to this album and let my my mind wander, because it's that boring, I thought of David Lynch films. He shows you something messed up, but he's trying to get across some idea. Seriously, this album is just a person pushing buttons, and that's not enough for an entire album. Tonight you look like a spider, felt like someone who read a cake recipe, got the ingredients... But to make the cake, they throw the eggs at the wall to crack them, get the water from the toilet, and flour off the floor. Do you want to eat that cake? Actually, if they played Tonight You Look Like a Spider as they did that, it just might make the album listenable.
1: Barbershop is in danger of growing stale. I'm taking it to strange new places. Number eight. Uh. 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 Number eight, uh, number eight, 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 uh, number eight, number eight,
0: Recently released is the trailer for the upcoming film adaptation of Tracy Lett's Pulitzer Prize-winning play, August, Osage County. I had a chance to see the play on its national tour after it won the Tony Award for Best New Play, among other honors. In short, the story revolves around the disappearance of a family patriarch, Beverly Weston, and his family, daughters Ivy, Barbara, and Maddie Fay, and their families, coming together in support of their mother, Violet and then they discover that Father Beverly had committed suicide. The death of Beverly is the catalyst the family needs to, over the three-and-a-half-hour play runtime, air out grievances with each other through sniping and yelling, while self-medicating with booze and pills. You know, the usual stuff that happens in theater dramas. I'm not sure if playwright Letts thought he was pushing the boundaries of theater. The play deals with incest, drugs, booze, lost loves, pedophilia, life, death, and the whole shebang. It's all very well done, but I couldn't stand it. Like I mentioned earlier, the play is over three hours long and it's broken up into three one-hour acts, kind of like a TV show. Actually, at times I felt like I was watching three back-to-back episodes of the HBO series Six Feet Under. Both of these productions had the same weaknesses. If anyone in the entire show ever said, oh, I'm sorry, the entire thing would have come to a complete stop. At a certain point, all the characters in August Osage County felt like they were being dicks to each other just for the sake of being dicks to each other. Now I can understand this winning a Tony for Best New Play, but the Pulitzer? Seriously, this is in league with past Pulitzer winners like Our Town, Long Day's Journey Into Night, A Streetcar Named Desire, and Death of a Salesman? The one thing that really irritated me about this play was a 15-20 to minute section that takes place at a dinner table. Now, if you take Playwriting 101, the first thing they teach you is that you can't have your actors put their back to the audience. You need to be able to see and hear them. But for 20 to 15 minutes, this cast sits at a dinner table, some with their backs to the audience, and the other cast, on the other side of the table, blocked by the people with their backs to the audience. Okay, fine, award-winning Tracy Letts can get away with this, but really? Luckily, they are miked, mic'd, or it would have been, been difficult to hear them. The moment they sat down and started talking, I wondered, why am I watching a theatrical adaptation of a TV show? I'm giving August Osage County one and a half stars. If you see a production with quality actors, it'll be fun to see theater actors tear into the roles, even if it's just a TV drama on stage. And the characters in the play are well enough to find, but overall, I don't see what the Pulitzer committee must have seen. They must be those people who brag that they don't own a television... Well, maybe they do see film. And this fall, an all-star cast sinks their acting choppers into the roles. You've got Julia Roberts, Meryl Streep, Sam Shepard, and Ewan McGregor. This cast could turn out an awesome production of Curious George. And it seems like they picked the right director for this project, John Wells. He's not known for film, though. He's known for ER, The West Wing, Third Watch, and Shameless. Hmm. A TV guy. Hmm. I guess all in ball was busy. everyone i'd like to thank you for downloading and streaming this episode of media riot media riot is brought to you by mama goldberg's delicious cookies do you really think you should have more than two i'm just saying really three do you ever want to get married mama goldberg's delicious cookies do you really want more than two media riot is an illinois production and uh we'll see y'all next time bye now